Rob, welcome back. Uh, it's been a very, very, we always say this, but I think more times, uh, more this time than any other time, it's been a very, very busy weekend since we were last on. Uh, so much has happened. Our record, Lombardy, of course, um, the Falling Leaves race. Uh, we've had um, winners and losers from this year, I guess. Uh, we've had ton of transfer news we've had relegation we've had gravel worlds inaugural gravel worlds um we've had plenty of stars um from yesteryear uh retiring uh where should we start well let's start with lombardia get into it yeah lombardia you could say it's of course not the last race of the calendar but it is uh for many um the end of the season um Many we will argue it finished a long time ago, and uh, there's I don't know I've I've kind of uh, I wouldn't say lost interest, but I, I I'm, I'm finding I'm, I'm there's definitely fatigue there following the season. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's a few smaller races going on and whatnot. Uh, I'm sure they'll head out to China, some riders and whatnot, purely for um, well monetary reasons, really. But. Yeah. Um, uh, we're, we're going to Lombardy then so it starts in uh, Bergamo this time uh, heading to Lake Como uh, there are different variations usually uh, but this one uh, I heard commentators talking about it being a bit less um, you know a bit less in terms of excitement with racing how did, how did it go down yeah so I'd say generally quite a slow paced day uh, we had a break of kind of very very long shots going in that and the uh, the group never really being in much trouble and then kind of for me the race only really getting exciting with about 30 kilometers to go we've got three three climbs left and um yeah quite a quite a gentle pace up the third to last climb and you know really really kicking off on um on the late on the penultimate climb and this, um, yeah, so going into that climb, about a group of 30, Pogaccia looking strong, <laughs> Enric Mass also looking strong. These two, the big pre-race favourites heading into this race, both performing well in the in the hilly Italian one days leading up to this. And um, yeah, that proved to be the case with uh, big attacks from both Enric Mass, Taddy Pogaccia, and uh, it was Mikel Lander, surprise, surprise. surprise. Super I was surprised, really it? surprised at that. Um, haven't really seen anything from him since quite a good Giro, quite a good Giro from Mikel Lander. Maybe not the year I think he'd want. Um, I think his, his time as a real top world-class climber is coming to the end, but this has definitely been one of his strongest rides in the, the last three years. Mikel yeah. Lander just getting dropped on the penultimate climb, then on the descent coming back down, Mikel Lander uh, coming back on the final climb uh, until uh, unfortunately being dropped again. Good chase group behind, but ultimately these three just looked a long, long, long way ahead. Some of the other, of the other riders in that group behind, we're seeing your Adam Yates's, Sergei Higuita's, Carlos Rodriguez and uh, Ruben Bardet putting in a solid effort also. Nibali getting dropped on the penultimate climb, but Alejandro Valverde putting in a very respectable effort, keeping himself up there, and a good deterrent from uh, people attacking over Twenric Mass and that group behind. Yeah, and uh, we'll touch on Valverde there. Um, we're obviously going to talk about his retirement. Finishing sixth um, in this uh, Lombardy 
race, which is incredible given his age, given his stature in cycling. Uh, but we'll touch on that later on. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning this is the first time, of course, uh, Vingago, uh, Tour de France winner, and uh, Pogacar came head to head since since the Tour de France. They've had a different trajectory as well from the race uh, with Pogacar focusing on one days while Vingago focusing on minor uh, week-long races, stage races and whatnot. And uh, I think it showed today, um, Vingago trying to stick with, um, sorry, not today, but rather during the race, Vingago trying to stick with the attacks, but not being able to do so. Uh, a tough old race, 250 kilometers. Uh, strongest rider, attritional, uh, Pogacar coming out on top. But uh, do you think their run-up played a part in that? Um, or do you think there was other factors as well? I think, yeah, Vingegaard, I think, just likes to have his time off after the Tour. We saw it last year when he was second at the Tour as well. Very little racing and, you know, he didn't didn't put in any real performances after the Tour, like eight, but San Sebastian's all right. And then he was 14th at Lombardia uh, last year. He did, um, did, did win a stage of the Croatia race this year, but that's uh, quite a low-level race, if we're honest. Second on GC as well. Um, but yeah, Pogaccio, you know, he's, he's achieved a lot since the tour also. Um, you know, you know, yeah, he was a favourite as well, even heading into Worlds. He, he wasn't out of the question to see him win that. Um, but yeah, I think Vingegaard just switches off, kind of in a similar way to Geraint Thomas. Um, Just <coughs> the break, basically, yeah. After his as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll see Vingegaard, you know, you think it would be flying even in February, like Pogaccio will be at the UAE tour, you're more more of a slow burn, and you'll only see uh Lingard in his true prime at the tour, which um I'm sure he'll be at next year, looking to defend his title. And <laughs> that's when you'll have to wait to see Vingegaard back at his best. Yeah, it's interesting though. Um we, we came away since Chris Froome, we've kind of come away from the uh stage. Well, there was obviously Wiggins prior. Uh, you, you had a, a a very long period of riders who only raced stage stages or only really prepared for the stage races. Uh, so as I mentioned, Chris Froome, and it feels like Vingago is kind of going back to that mode uh, whereby the likes of Pogacar and the others um, they are trying to or, or they're proving themselves on various terrain, uh, various races. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It will it will be interesting to see where he takes it next time. Is it is it will it be that Vingegaard only focuses on the tour, uh, whereas Pogacar goes for the jugular, trying to get everything, or would it be the case that Vingegaard will be at the other races and is competitive, um, and break that mold? I guess. Uh, but it's interesting because uh, last couple of years, of course, we've had uh, the likes of Van Aert as well. Uh, just bossing on stages, winning Tour de France. Day. Of course, he's not uh, going for classification, but he's winning mountaintop uh, rides and all the rest of it. And he's not the only one. Um, but yeah, um, I'll be interested where he takes it from here. Um, but over to Pogacar. Uh, would you say he had a, a successful season? He's, uh, of course, didn't come away for, with the Tour de France, but he's won several others this year. In fact, I believe he was the uh, most winningest, if that's a word, uh, rider of this year, uh, winning the most individual races for himself and his team, of course. Yeah, I, I think it's an, an interesting one. 
no doubt it's a successful season and any fighter should uh, should take the season he has. Ultimately, though, he, he didn't win the Tour. I feel that that would have been his main priority, but he achieved so much else. You have to say it's a, a successful season for him. Um, for, ultimately, you thought heading into this year, the Tour would be him versus Roglic. It was him versus Vingegaard at the Tour and he was ultimately beaten fair and square. I think he could argue he's the best cyclist in the world currently. Yeah. I think that's a fair argument. But whether you can say he's the favourite for the Tour next year, in my personal opinion, no. I don't think he is. Uh, I think um, if they turn up on the same form again next year, I think Vingegaard would be a strong favourite. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of work to do. And maybe he does realign his goals. Maybe he doesn't go chasing stuff like San Remo and Flanders earlier in the year and maybe it's a more um, an approach more like Frooms and Vingegaard like you mentioned earlier leading into the Taurus that's likely the thing that team will really want to win yeah absolutely and uh, <clears throat> where, do, where does he go from here though does he focus uh, I know you mentioned like he should uh, focus on the Tour de France but if he's got if if Pogacar is not favourite uh, do you think he should put all his eggs in that basket and go for that Tour de France, uh, despite uh, not not promise, uh, not being promised a win? Or do you think he should continue doing what he's doing, trying to trying to nab monuments and all the rest of it? I'd I, I'd like to see him continue to nab monuments. Um, I'd like to see him go be at the same level and put the same effort he does for like Charles Bianchi, San Remo, and um, Flanders. But ultimately, any any sponsor would rather rather he just wins the tour. That's the real like the the tour just dominates everything else so much that that's that's the one one true thing you always have to be thinking about. So, if I was a team, if I was sponsors, I'd be more pushing towards the um, the all in for the tour approach. However, if, if I was Pogaccio, I'd I think I'd rather win if you could win all the monuments and the tour once. I think that would be a whole lot cooler than just winning the tour for four times, which is, is probably the one I'd more expect him to do is just win win the tour another two times in his career, yeah. and um, and that would be that. But yeah, there's a lot of other things he can go for as well. I think the world's world champs that should be a target for him by the end of his career, and also the. Uh, the Giro and the Welter, for sure. Yeah, let's let's see how it pans out. Uh, so there was a different kind of race on the weekend as well. Uh, the first one um, of its kind, UCI now um, getting themselves into the gravel scene. Um, it's worth mentioning that just like mountain bike back in the 90s, uh, it was more of a grassroots uh, endeavour. Um, UCI wasn't involved, however, they did come and they changed the face of uh, mountain biking. And now they, uh, I guess they will eventually do the same with gravel. Um, so UCI come in with their own rules and whatnot, whereas um, the famous races previously, or they're still running, in fact, like, uh, uh, I'm not sure what they called it now. Dirty Kanza has changed its name due to racist connotations of the name uh forgotten what it's called though but that's obviously the most famous um but that's obviously uci have no 
um, jurisdiction there. You have thousands upon thousands racing. You have the pros line up with amateurs uh, racing 200 miles across Kansas. Um, so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on UCI now uh, pushing for gravel? And do you have any thoughts on how that might affect uh, the gravel scene, especially in America? That's, uh, that's where it's pretty big at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I know lots of people seem to not like the ECI being involved and like over-regulating things, but I, I, I don't see too much of an issue with it. I don't think they can crush the soul out or something just by having rules and stuff. Um, they should be able to organise it, make it bigger and better and um, maybe more more financially viable. You know, yeah. they should be able to, to do that, professionalise it. And, you know, if people don't want it to be professionalised, that's that's fine. They can all just go to amateur races still. I'm sure, sure. Like the UCI don't try and take over sportives all the time. So, so yeah. If you want it to stay as grassroots racing, that's fine. But I imagine like bike companies and teams will uh, want want some exposure. I pr- I presume gravel bike sales went up <laughs> over the weekend. So, so yeah. I'm sure there's lots of exciting stakeholders that are happy for it. Um, I think same easy. I just crushes the soul of gravel racing. I think that's well, a bit more to be honest. It, it attracted the biggest of stars. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's because it was the first one, uh, and it'll continue that the stars head over, or um, it's just something that people like Vanderpool, uh, Daniel Ross, Greg Van Avermaet, um, Peter Sagan. Is it if it's something that? Um, they want to do, uh, or it might be the fact that they're being paid. Um, I think a, a hefty bonus. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm sure there's a hefty bonus in it for them. I'm sure every team um, with a gravel bike in their range would uh, be pushing quite hard for it. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned gravel bikes because uh, when you look at what some of the riders were riding, it wasn't it wasn't the gravel bike. In fact, um, so I think Vermish uh, he rode. If I'm not mistaken, um, on a road bike, uh, actually, I'm not sure about him, but I know for a fact that Peter Sagan, for example, um, and some of the others, they were riding the Roubaix, uh, which in fact is, of yeah. course, not yeah. not the dedicated gravel bike for Specialized. They have the Diverge, but uh, I imagine they went for something more racier, perhaps slightly lighter. Uh, actually, I'm I'm not sure the Roubaix is lighter, uh, but it's probably more aerodynamic. Um, Fitting, he raced on 32 mil tires, for example. Uh, there was someone else who rode on a Cannondale Super Six. I think it was uh, who's that EF education rider who uh, does Lachlan? all this? Yes, that's it. Lachlan Morton rode on a Cannondale Super Six, which is uh, a, a fairly lightweight uh, slash. It's becoming aero road bike with yeah. again 32 mil road tires on it um so yeah it it, it kind of blurring the lines i yeah, guess yeah. uh the advent of disc brakes allowed that um allowed bikes to run road bikes to run thicker tires and if it's not super wet um i don't see why you couldn't why you couldn't fit in 32 mil tires and if you have bike handling allows um then uh, you know, knock yourself out. You've got an advantage there uh, without having fat, sluggish tyres, really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the tech of it's interesting. And <laughs> maybe the, the UCI will regulate what the rules are, what a gravel bike Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, which is interesting. You can't 
turn up to world title across champs up a mountain bike um so yeah that's an interesting one i'm not too sure about the tech to be honest i'm not too sure yeah. about the tech but i'm sure whatever whatever the bike companies are putting their races on um I'm, I'm sure there's uh, one piece of tech that you perhaps looked at over the weekend, which was Filippo uh, Garner's uh, Our Record Machine, uh, 3D printed fork and frame, apparently first of its kind. Um, did you manage to see that or were you focused on the record itself? Yeah, I was watching it. I was watching the bike and I remember they, they showed they showed, I think it was like 700 hours of preparation had gone into making that chain as, as quick as possible and as looped up as possible. But yeah, an incredible amount of detail had gone into that bike. And, you know, we've seen 3D, 3D handlebars have been the norm for a while now in, the, in our top end races. But but yeah, yeah, it's going quite crazy. It's going very F1. You know, that's where Dan... Dan Bigham, the aerodynamicist, is obviously quite a fair proportion of the brains behind Ghana's record. Definitely. Came from, and, you know, it's <laughs> becoming a bit of a technology race. And, you know, Dan Bigham really quite, quite uh, not that long ago, putting a bit of the Camp Bernard's uh, previous record on the shelf. And then Ghana, obviously a much more, a much more impressive physiological specimen than Bigham really, really putting it away for a certain amount of time and yeah i think the hour record just demonstrates how much quicker how much aerodynamics more aerodynamic bikes are getting over the time yeah absolutely and it's worth mentioning that um he actually said he would probably give it a go again with better legs uh, so uh, i think you'll have them as well because he definitely wasn't at his best you know yeah it's not he's, been a great end of the season absolutely week. absolutely not not doing so well in the world's um if if you had if he had won the world we'd be like right he's definitely got the record uh but he his run up as you mentioned wasn't so great he hasn't been great for a few months now um yet he's put it away he put it away by uh almost a kilometer um of course he's used dan bigham uh as a guinea pig and dan bigham of course is happy to do so working for the same team um i guess it was his job uh, to, to get it and allow him to get it out thereafter uh, but there's definitely more more to come I think um, but of course these things take a lot of time a lot of prep, preparation a lot of money as well uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does take a step back from his other commitments for the team to then focus and put away another kilometer or two on their record um, but it'll be interesting to see where the tech uh, continues taking us because I imagine he's almost reached his peak. He won't he won't be able to eke out many more watts from there. But um, perhaps uh, the technology will allow him to do so. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Time will tell. Technology will definitely keep improving with time. That's for sure. And and yeah, I think Gano Gano can be on a much better form. I think he's got another uh, another five hundred meters on it in him on his best day. To be honest, so. So yeah, I do look forward to seeing that. However, yeah, all quite arbitrary, just a measure of how things improve over time, that's for sure. But just just to uh, just to put it in context, Rob, um, I'm not sure if you've ever ridden uh, there was there was some laps he was doing at fifty-nine kilometers per hour um up towards the end. I, I'm not sure you've ever ridden, or I, I certainly haven't, fifty-nine kilometers per hour on on a flat. 
Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredible that he managed that uh, in the TT position uh, where it's difficult to put out power um, after an hour or so of riding. It's mind-blowing. It would have been world record pace uh, not too long ago uh, in terms of pursuit, which is a much, much shorter race. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible to see, as you mentioned, where the tech has taken us and uh, where he can take it as well, really. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, also, uh, Rob, it's probably time to say bye to um, a bunch of riders, um, ab- absolute legends of the sport. We we mentioned Valverde earlier, well into his 40s now, still still at the pointy end of races. You would you would ask, actually, why, why is he retiring? Um, he's still got it. Uh, but probably at that age, he probably has different, Different priorities now and doesn't want to spend all his time on the bike. Uh, but kudos to the guy for hanging on for so long. Um, yeah. Uh, is he is he hero or villain in your eyes, considering <laughs> he was he was part of the era uh, where it was actually okay to dope? Uh, oh, well, it's never been okay <laughs> to dope, but um, there was, a, you know, a, yeah, yeah. a blind eye to it. And yeah. uh, of course, he he actually did get caught and served a ban. Uh, but for yourself, Rob, hero or zero? Uh, yeah, defo hero. I think if you um if you refuse to appreciate, yeah, if you like if anyone racing that era with any success, you can you can be pretty confident there on it. And so, yeah, you, you have to have some. Uh, legends in the sport whatever sport you're in the cycling that that uh likely means they're they're obviously um you can be pretty sure they were doped at some point in their career that's for sure and um yeah you know Valverde just not like some people it's impressive to be that old and still competitive but you know he he's he's been competitive for so long like he's really been right at the top for about 20 years which is just you know it's insane you know you have all these youngsters coming through and yeah, I think I think they'll they'll have a good ten year career, but will we see Evan the Pole going at forty two? Maybe, but the general trend of riders who have that amount of success in their early twenties is they'll generally be retired by now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Valverde's uh, competition are all long retired. Those of uh, those of a similar age to him, that's for sure. So, so yeah, no, very impressive, and you know. One reason for him to keep going, I think he's probably getting paid the most he ever has been during his career right now, to be honest. True. Such, a, True. such a legend of the game and performing so well still that yeah, he's probably on millions a year, which yeah. is probably why you've seen the last seven years. He's probably I guess I guess he's made at least ten million in the last seven years. So yeah. so yeah, definitely uh worth carrying on deep into your 30s and into your 40s also. I believe he's still in and around the team. He hasn't quit cycling. He's obviously quit professional no. riding. Um, but uh, he still has a lot to offer. Obviously, he's been in the game so long. Um, I'm sure he'll be an excellent coach for the likes of Enric Mass and whatnot. Um, it'll be worth mentioning as well, Nibali, uh, Vincenzo, the shark of... Uh, shark of what? Messina. That's it. Um another legend of the sport uh personally I, I i probably got into the sport too late to appreciate um him properly but the fact that he won uh four grand tours uh and one of each uh which is absolutely incredible um while also 
winning a bunch of monuments. Um, I should mention before we go into Nibali, I just remember that Valverde, he has an absolutely incredible, incredible record in monuments, whereas he's he's almost always finished in the top 10. Uh, when you're that good, uh, you don't retire. Um, uh, the likes of, uh, I guess, Pogacar and the rest of them that are the current crop, crop I think as they start to fade, you won't, you won't, they won't start to do what Peter Sagan is doing now, which is uh, just enjoy the riding or try different things. I, th- I think they'll just retire quietly. They won't go into the shadows almost, if you know what I mean. Um, whereas uh, the this old guard, they did exactly that. Uh, of course, Valverde is not is not one of those, but Nibidi, um he, he's he's not been obviously winning races recently, but an absolute legend. Uh, Gilbert, another one. Um, I believe he won four of the five monuments. Gilbert, yeah, it was only San Remo he didn't manage to complete. I, mean, I don't know he went very hard these last two years to try and get it, but yeah, yeah sadly, just just didn't quite have enough in the legs to finish the job off. Yeah, and uh, probably a few other mentions like Nicky Terpstra, um, an old monument. Um, uh, well, he was always up there. Uh, in his prime, and he won a few as well. Tom Dumoulin has finally retired, I believe. I, I, I don't think he's coming back after this time. No. Um, no. Giro d'Italia winner. Uh, there's also Richie Port, um, probably another rider from yesteryear who was always in and around the top. Uh, also, Alex Dowsett, um, a British rider, great TTR, and uh, he actually held the previous uh, hour record for a little while. Um, there was another rider who we thought might uh, retire. He's no longer with uh, Quickstep, and that's Mark Cavendish. He has just literally announced that he is going to... Do you want to guess? Oh, no, I don't know. Oh, um, no, actually, I do want to guess. I do want to guess. Yep. B&B Hotels. Absolutely, yes. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, so we'll be seeing him for another year and uh, perhaps he'll get to go to the Tour de France if he can stay fit and healthy and uh, have a crack. Uh, yeah, I think he'll probably make the record. Best Yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's see. Um, I'll be interested to see his run-up and whatnot, uh, whether he's competitive elsewhere because, of course, he goes through phases where he's not competitive at all. Um, and mm. so of course, he surprised all of us, including myself, where he comes back and uh, goes on a impressive run uh but yeah let's let's see how he gets on um for sure yeah that'll be an interesting one <laughs> i think they've i think they signed uh Rochese as well good yeah. leader man and they've got quite a few semi-decent sprinters you could probably make a good lead out for him also so so yeah dangerous game they're playing i wouldn't i wouldn't Put all my fish in the hot Cavendish basket. Yeah. yeah, Well, if he's listening right now, which uh, uh, I'm sure he is, of course, um, uh, he's going to prove you wrong. (laughs) He's going. I'm sure he'll try to. Yeah, and I hope he does. I hope he does. But (laughs) but yes, some competitive landscape. You got Ewan Philipson, Malia Jakobsen. It's uh, yeah, it's not easy to win, and he'll be 38 at the tour next year. And uh, yeah, it's been a long career already, but I'd love to see it. I hope he does it. But yeah, he'll need everything he's got. He'll have to really go all in this time, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, have I mentioned he, he actually lives not too far from me and I've seen him in the lanes 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cav and uh, yeah, Cav and uh, Teo Gagan Hart as well. They're they're right yeah. together sometimes. Uh, local what? names. In London, yeah, yeah, East it? London, Essex borders. Really? You say. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, you oh. know, uh, Teo Gagan Hart is a hackney lad, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> Teo is, but yeah, yeah, I thought they'd, um, well, surely most of the year they're based, yeah, absolutely, in Dorona or something. It's, it, it's actually, it was interesting that it was during it was closer to winter time. I, th- I think they may come home for Christmas, and uh, that's when it was, it was, yeah, closer yeah. to Christmas time. and uh, probably come back for to see family and what actually it's off season right so why would you stay out there it's, it's snowing out there as well in Dora or <laughs> wherever they're staying you know um yeah, yeah so yeah um uh, it's uh, it's quite funny Teo Gagan Hart is probably the only rider in the world who rides a Pinarello F12 uh, of course he's got a newer bike now but uh, back when I saw him, he was probably the only rider in the world who had a 10, 11, 12, 13,000 pound bike with shoddy mudguards on, <laughs> which made me chuckle. Well, I was going to say, he's definitely not the only guy in London riding around on a Pinarello. Oh, well. Obviously, <laughs> well, everyone and their dog is down there. Oh, well. <laughs> but yeah, uh, certainly none of them are riding with mudguards, but no, he is, no. of course. Oh, he Very was, helpful. but... Yeah. Um, so just to wrap up then, Rob, it, it might well be our uh, last podcast of the season. Um, just winners and losers from the year. Um, what who, what team jumps out at you? And uh, do you think, uh, you know what, they stepped up this year and uh, they, they've come out of their shadow. So for, for me personally, it's a movie, movie star. Um, and of course, Jumbo Visma as well. Uh, but Movistar, they <laughs> well, it's kind of become a joke, really, with uh, the three pronged attack, which always fails. Uh, but they've really showed um, Valverde, obviously, uh, spearheading much of that. But they've they've become a team where you can expect a bit more from them uh, without it being a joke, really. Um, so I'm really impressed with them. Who who really impressed you? Um, yeah, I, I well, definitely though their end to the season, and in particular, Enric Mass, yeah. um, had a fantastic end to the season. I agree, Jumbo Visma all, all season, uh, pretty incredible. Um, other than that, wouldn't say, oh, Intermarche, <laughs> uh, been big fans of them all year, but yeah, I believe, I think they came fifth overall in the ranking. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't even see that. Wow. Yeah, so they, you know, you know, clearly not got a big budget, not yeah. much expected from them. Uh, you have to really, in that instance, say well done to the performance staff on that team because whatever your budget, like it's not like they got lucky with one or two. It's consistently throughout the board, uh, that team's been performing. I think um, we'd have probably said quick step. We'd probably said quite a bad year for them if it wasn't for Remco uh, winning Worlds and uh, the Vuelta. I think they're having quite a bad season. Jakobsen yeah. not doing maybe what you'd expect. I, I might be quite harsh here. I might say Vanderpol. Um, I not, see where you're coming from. I see where you come from. A long way. You know, previously it was always who's had the better season. Him or yeah. Wow yeah. is 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 crystal clear this year. It's uh, Wow he's had the better season out of the two of them. But you know you have to you have to consider uh, Vanderpol's back issues that you're struggling with. All the uh, all winter there I think losers as well Israel Premier Tech being relegated I'm not happy but you know if you're spending all your money on um, uh, 37 year old Chris Room 37 year old 
Jakob Fulsang, sort of what do you expect, to be honest? Um, yeah, also Lotto, they did a good fight of trying to stay up. They've clearly not really got much of a budget. No, yeah. no real stars in their team. Barkay the viewer now. Um, but yeah, still getting relocated. Um, and yeah, Bora, I'd say Bora have had pretty a good year. I think they spent quite a lot, quite a lot of incoming transfers. I <coughs> their budget was quite large this season. Um, good year for them. Um, and yeah, UAE, what you'd expect. Just a bit unlucky with Pagatcha not winning the tour. Other than that, they'd have had a fantastic season. And Ineos, Ooh. Ineos and Mix, I'd say no. Was it no? Oh, yeah, only in the world gear. Geraint podium, Geraint third at the tour, but you know, it's a long, long way off first or second. And yeah. Carapaz second at the Giro, but a long way off, a long way off where they want to be. They've got a lot to be happy about. Their youngsters are really looking good. I think that I'd say that I'd say that team is going through a transition phase. Maybe yeah. Hater and Pickock will really be the the stars of the world in the next year in the next years. Um, but they're not yet there. Yeah, there yet. I don't think they'll be there next year. And um, yeah, maybe we can feel a bit of desperation in their recruitment. Uh, previously being rumoured to try and sign Roglic, and more recently. A young Remco they've been trying to get their hands on also. Uh, apparently a joke to uh, Lefebvre, but um, apparently not as well. There's been a lot of uh, rumours that Remco might be headed to Ineos. Um, with him not being the absolute favourite for the Tour de France, I would, I'm not sure, um, you know, uh, whether it's, it's something that they will chase, really. Uh, but they need to do something uh, because they don't have, as you mentioned, current winners or current competitors. And of course, uh, their new uh, title leader, uh, title sponsor will want the Tour de France, uh, especially after pumping so much money in. Uh, but if you think about Ineos, I mean, sorry, Etics, uh, sorry, Quick Step, and the way they uh, set up their contracts whereby it's very minimal but based on results uh, I imagine Remco uh, isn't actually on a lot of money uh, much basic money really and it won't take a lot for Ineos to buy him out so if he wasn't Belgium racing in a Belgium team I think he would have already gone a long time ago uh, but the fact that he's in his home country uh, he got the biggest hero uh, welcome after the world championships, I think it'll be difficult, very difficult for him to leave. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there. And uh, if they don't get him, who they go for. Yeah, that, that is who, who are they going for? They've sold Yates and they sold Carapaz. Yeah, it's true. They've not really replaced them either. So, so yeah, I presume Pitcock's on a big contract. I think Ramco would have been very hard to buy out. You know, he's contracted till 2026. And... Yeah, but how much money when you're talking Ineos? And like I said, with Quickstep not actually paying their riders a lot. Um... I think a lot. I think for Remco, I think they are paying you a think lot. So? I, okay. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. If you're, if you're having the success you had as a youngster and you've signed him till 2026, it's the same with Yao Almeida. Um Generally, if you're giving someone a long contract, it's for a lot of money, sort of thing. So, I I think it would have been crazy money to try and buy him out of that. To be honest, um, given how big he is in uh, Belgium, I want to say, uh, 
Are Quick Step actually even a Belgian team? They're definitely. Oh yeah, they are. They are a registered Belgian team. I wanted to say they weren't. No, they are. They are. They are. I'm sure I thought there was something to do with like logistics or something, which meant they were like French or something. That must be another <laughs> team I'm thinking of. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they are Belgian. All right, uh, we should wrap it up there then, Rob. Uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, perhaps we'll see you again next year. Yeah, for sure. I hope I hope I get invited back. And oh, um, absolutely, you're always welcome back, Rob. Yeah, good, good, and yeah, yeah, good to sign off for the season. And yeah, I'm sure everyone will be watching some cyclocross as well in that time. So yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, cyclocross for those who don't know it, uh, what is it? Because Rob, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I haven't actually. I race. Uh, I watched the Worlds. If I think it was last year where Pidcock came third, and the other two fought it out. Um, but that was probably the first time I raced. Uh, I watched it. Uh, but for the listeners, what cyclocross and uh, when does it take place? Yeah, so it takes place all the way to generally October through to February. Um, yeah, basically bikes that look very similar to road bikes, just with some wider tires, with kind of some novels on and. Race around the forest, race around some fields, and short laps. Uh, generally, about I guess about 10, 10 laps in a race, and uh, it's just as many laps as you can do in an hour. And the person who completes the most laps the quickest is the winner. Lots very short racing, only one hour. Men's and women's races on on the same day. Both great watches, and uh, yeah, lots of races. You'll see the best guys in the world always racing against each other, pretty much every weekend. So, so yeah, really recommend it. It's, it's normally a good fun watch as well because, as you mentioned, it's it's an hour race of laps. Uh, so if you actually go to watch it live, you'll get to see them come round plenty of times. It's normally in the in, uh, what the height of winter where it's super muddy, uh, lots of spills, lot of uh, <laughs> lot of argy bargy as well. If there isn't one one all out winner, um, and yeah, you can as you mentioned some of the biggest stars. Are out there doing it but it's a uh, mainly a european obviously the biggest races are out in uh belgium if i'm not mistaken although yeah. of course we we have some uh locally here in the uk as well just not as big but yeah uh that's a wrap then rob take care yeah. Good to you. all right see you jade bye